Well, good morning again to you. If you have your Bibles or you can open up your apps to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11 is where we'll be this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. It is good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Um, I, I don't know about you while you're turning there. I don't know about you, but, but I, I've often heard things. And of course, you know, maybe you've used this phrase before in your own life. But you hear something and you just don't believe it. You're kind of a, a natural born skeptic. I, maybe you're like me, you read something on the internet and you go, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not buying that. That cannot be true. Maybe you remember the early days of, of email. Remember when you first got your email address and you were so worried about giving it a particular name because, you know, you were just worried about that. And then you would start getting emails from an international friend, a new friend of yours apparently, who was going to promise you a windfall of cash if you would just share your bank account number and you would, he would route you some money. And then, and then, lo and behold, it was a scam, right? They, and they had asked for your social security number, your blood type. I mean, they'd asked everything. And you just kind of gave it because you were just thinking they were a good friend of yours. And, but, but you've come to a point now where you get those emails and you know immediately, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not buying it. Maybe you remember those, remember those sweepstakes where they would knock on your door and they would present to you that giant check? Remember those? I used to always wonder, how do you deposit that at the bank? You can't fit it in that mobile deposit. It can't go up. I mean, would you fold it seven or eight times? I don't know. But I would, I would see those on TV. And even as a, as a kid, I would go, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not buying it. There's no way. Uh, may, maybe you've read something on the internet lately like, Coffee's bad for you. Listen, I'm not buying it. I'm not <laughs> buying that. Maybe as a kid, you went to your teacher, and your teacher had given you an assignment to take home, and you had forgotten to do it, but you came up with this very plausible story where you said, my dog ate my homework, and your teacher just looked at you and said, I'm not buying it. There's a sense in all of our lives where there's a degree of which I'm not buying it is a statement of doubt. A statement of, I'm not believing whatever you're selling. I'm not agreeing with whatever you've just told me. I'm not going to uh, come to a place to where I say, yeah, that's right. It's a statement of doubt on whatever has been said. Some of us in this room have struggled with doubt for a long time, maybe for longer than we can ever recall. Did you know that the disciples, 100% of the disciples, at some point in their life, doubted Jesus? And in fact, they doubted a good friend of theirs because Jesus had gone to the, to the cross, Jesus had gone to the tomb, and Jesus was buried. And one of the, their friends, Mary, had gone to see Jesus on that resurrection morning. And she sees that the tomb is empty, and she runs off to the disciples where they had gathered. Some had gone fishing because they didn't know what else to do. Some had just kind of cowered and were afraid of what was going to happen to them. But Mary comes to them and says, hey, I need to let you know something. Jesus is alive. He is risen. And their immediate response wasn't, Mary is trustworthy. And whatever Mary says, we should agree with. Mary has been covered. Snoops has done articles on Mary. She's, she's not telling a lie. No, no, immediately they run to the tomb to see for themselves because there was a hinge of doubt even in the disciples after being with Jesus and hearing from Jesus that there was a sense of, I'm not buying it. Maybe it's for you today. Maybe the reality of the resurrection is something that you just haven't bought into. 
Maybe the reality of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ is just something that you're not into at all. But you came because a family member wanted you to be here today. But what if I told you, if you're somebody who's dealt with I'm not buying it mentality and it's become like the, the, the source and the anchor of your life and it's actually caused you to doubt the multitude of things that God has made known in his word. What if I told you that doubt and faith are close friends? Here's how one author put it. He said this, whenever you talk about doubt, it's as if you have to believe something before you can doubt it. You have to be committed to it before you begin to question it. Have you ever doubted God? I've had people come to me and ask, we'd be in a room just by ourselves and they're asking me that, that dreaded question and we'll be in a room when nobody else is, but yet they'll, they'll get real quiet, they'll lean in and they'll say, pastor, have you ever doubted? And of course I'll say, never, I've never doubted. What's wrong with you? No, no, I don't, I don't say that. <laughs> but I'll look at them and say, yes. There's all, all, for all of us, there's been moments of time where we're going, man, do I really believe what God has said to be true? Do I really believe this word? Do I really believe that God sent Jesus to this earth? Do I really believe that Jesus went to the cross on my behalf? Do I really believe that his death and his sacrifice is, provides opportunity for me to be saved? Do I really believe it or do I keep saying I'm not buying it? Today we see a snapshot of a man who was a related, he was related to Jesus. He had preached faithfully about Jesus. And yet he's in a moment in his life, a crossroads, if you will, where he begins to ask the question, is Jesus who he really is? So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be at Matthew chapter 11. We're just gonna read the first six verses. We'll put the scriptures on the screen, but if you're there, will you say word? It says, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to preach and teach in other towns. Verse 2 is where we pick up. Now, when John, this is John the Baptist, right? When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Verse four, Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. The beautiful thing about this passage is that you have a man named John the Baptist. If you know your Bible history, John the Baptist came onto the scene very early before really the, the launch of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness eating locusts and honey. John the Baptist was kind of a man's man. He was rugged. He, he lived in a tent. We, we'd all be impressed with his survival skills. John the Baptist was a guy who preached faithfully that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was the guy who pointed to Jesus and said, the straps of his sandals, I'm not worthy even to untie. John the Baptist put all of his stake on Jesus. 
And all of that faithful preaching and all of that faithfulness to the word, all of that had led John not to a life of luxury, but to a life now of imprisonment. And you can imagine the sense of, of doubt that was creeping in. But what if I told you that the, the, the things and the scenarios that cause doubt in John the Baptist are often the same reasons that we often doubt in our own life? What caused doubt? in John the Baptist. What causes doubt in you and I? One of the first things is that we face tough times. We face difficult situations and seasons. You can imagine John who's done all these things, faithfully preached, called out the unrepentant, baptized believers, pointed to Jesus and said, that's the Messiah, there he is, done all these things. And his reward seemed to be isolation and imprisonment. It's no surprise that when we face tough times that our immediate response is, is this all really worth it? Is following Jesus worth my time and worth my effort? There's a sense where when difficult seasons come, our immediate response is to clap back to God and go, man, I don't deserve this. Now, friends, it's easy that when difficult times come or tough situations arise, when you see somebody who's faithful to Jesus, has sacrificed for Jesus, has served Jesus, to then all of a sudden have a setback in life, and then you see those who aren't faithful to Jesus, those who aren't sacrificing for Jesus, those who aren't serving Jesus, to then seemingly have a flourishing of life. It's not hard to ask that question, is this all really worth it? Difficult seasons happen to each one of us in life. Setbacks happen to each one of us in our days. Tough times happen for everyone and it's not hard to let doubt creep in and question, is Jesus, is following Jesus worth my time? This is what John the Baptist was doing. There's a sense of where he's saying, God, where are you? You can imagine a man who'd spent his life in the wilderness to now be imprisoned, the restraint that was happening, and he can see Jesus just kind of out and about while he's suffering for Jesus. But not only do tough times cause for us moments of doubt, but, but unmet expectations cause us to doubt as well. Think about for John. I mean, this is John the Baptist, who, again, looked at Jesus and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but it seems that in this moment, sin is still rampant. I mean, there's a sense of where he believed that Jesus was going to usher in a new kingdom, and yet Rome was still ruling, and it was wicked. I mean, there's a sense of where maybe, maybe John's expectation was that Jesus would not just set up the new kingdom, but he would speak against the Roman government, and Jesus did not do that. There's a sense of which where the expectation that John had is that when Jesus had come onto the scene, that all of sin would then be eradicated, that his kingdom, the kingdom of God, would be established here and now, just like Jesus had already said it was here, and that those who were not following Jesus would be dealt with. John had a few unmet expectations. 
When we have expectations about things in life and they don't happen, we often become embittered towards those things. We have an expectation of our career. We thought that by this age we could retire or have a certain bank account. We thought our kids would turn out just differently than what we and who they are. We have an expectation for church or for people in the church. But John in verse 3, he asks this question. He says, are you the one who is to come? Or should we, what's he say here, expect someone else? He said, look, we've been expecting this Messiah. We've been anticipating this Messiah coming. Should we be looking for somebody else? Now, here's what's happened for John. He has put all of his eggs, that's a pun, all of his eggs in the basket of Jesus. And he's asking, hey, do I need to take those eggs out of that basket and put them in somebody else's basket? Because if that's the case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of jail. That's what I'm going to do. My expectation was that, Jesus, you would establish your kingdom. Now, what he didn't realize is that Jesus was establishing his kingdom. Yet his kingdom looked vastly different than the expectations of everybody else. Now, if you read chapters 1 through 10 this afternoon, you find, and if you read chapters 11 through 28 this afternoon, you will find that routinely Jesus did not meet other people's expectations for him. In part, it's because Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew what he was sent to do. And Jesus was going to fulfill it no matter what anybody else thought. But sometimes when our expectations are not met, rather than adjusting our expectations, we'll get bitter towards God because he did not meet our expectations. Can I just tell you, the agenda of Jesus is not to meet our expectations. The agenda of Jesus is to fulfill what God has promised. But not only do we face unmet expectations, we also have a limited perspective. We have a limited perspective when it comes to the things of God. And so we begin to doubt often because we think our perspective and our truth is the only truth. You, you ever been in a conversation or a robust dialogue, or we might call that an argument? We ever been in one of those situations where you go, if y'all would just all agree with what I believe, then we'd be okay. Or, or you'll say, I'm thinking of some things and you should be able to read my mind. And if all of you would just agree with me, we can move on, right? There's a sense of where we think that our perspective is the ultimate, that we have the upper hand on all views in life. But in reality, even John the Baptist had a limited perspective. John the Baptist didn't understand everything that was going on. He, he couldn't have. It's why when he asked this question, it is a question that we have to deal with. Are you the one who is to come or is there somebody else that we should be looking for? Because I need to know my perspective's limited, but in this limited perspective, I've been getting to doubt who you are. John the Baptist is at a crossroads. You wouldn't think that John the Baptist, that great preacher and strong, rugged of a man, would be doubting, but here he is doubting, and it's a degree of which he's asking, are you who you say you are? It goes from, is this really worth it, to is he really worth it? There's a sense of which Jesus didn't meet these expectations, there's a sense of which there's difficult seasons, but there's also this instance of this limited perspective of him saying, God, where are you? I'm suffering 
in prison, isolated, and yet you're out and about. And so he sends his disciples. He sends his disciples to Jesus. By the way, this is exactly what you should do when you're facing doubt. So often we'll run to friends. It's fine to go to friends and look for counsel. But can I just tell you, you should do what John does. He runs to Jesus. What does he do? He sends his disciples into verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, Jesus replied to them, go and report what you hear and see. So the disciples of John come to Jesus and he says, hey, just, just tell John what you're hearing and what you're seeing. Tell him what you're, what's being displayed for you because he can't see it. He's in prison, but report back to him these things. And then look what he says in verse 5. He says something interesting. He says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. Now, to you and to me, when we read this, we go, oh, that's sweet. I've seen the felt board. That's fine. We go, I've heard these stories before of Jesus healing people. That's great. Okay, move on. I can't see Jesus. And I can't have a disciple report these things to me. So why should I believe in these truths? Well, Jesus helps us understand how to cure our doubt or how to defeat our doubt. What does he say? What Jesus does is he does two things. The first thing is that he gives biblical revelation. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, and Isaiah 61, verse 1, these verses in the chapter of Isaiah, written a thousand years before Jesus arose on the scene, Jesus quotes to him Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Now, to you and to me, that seems, oh, that's, that's nice, that's, that's cute that Jesus did that. But the reality is, is that Jesus doing that is, what he's doing is he's pointing John the Baptist back to God's word to, dis, to defeat John's doubt. What does he do? What's interesting here is that when you read the New Testament, but even when you read the Old Testament, there is no prophet there's no follower of God who has ever had the blind come to sight in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Only Jesus takes the blind and gives them sight. You read the Old Testament, go read it. You will not find anybody who was blind but then gets their sight. And in the New Testament, you will not find any follower of Jesus helping a blind person receive their sight other than Jesus doing that miracle himself. Now, you might argue because you graduated from vacation Bible school that in Acts chapter 9, there was a man named Saul who was on the road to Damascus and he was blinded by Jesus and he regained his sight. But that scenario is a little bit different because he had sight, lost his sight, and then regained his sight. Why does all that matter? It seems like, Pastor, you're making a pretty big significant emphasis on this. Yes, here's why. Because Jesus is telling John these prophecies that were made in the Old Testament, I'm the only one who is fulfilling them. God uses the word to prove his Messiahship to John the Baptist. When you're dealing with doubt, the first place you ought to go is God's word. Should it be any surprise that in our world today, the worldly influence says that we ought to question the validity of the scriptures. But can I just tell you, the Bible has stood true to all those questions and inquiries. 
every archaeological find that, that we discover only validates the scripture. It never disproves the scripture. And so what Jesus is doing is saying to John, I'm just wanting you to see how the Bible reveals to you, John, the trustworthiness that I am the Messiah. He uses biblical revelation to do this. The primary way you fend off doubt is to dive in to God's word. But then he says this in verse six, he says, blessed are those or blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Now this word offended literally means to be ensnared or to stumble. What Jesus is encouraging John the Baptist to have is not just to have biblical revelation, but to have joyful submission. See, so many of us hear these truths about God and it makes us stumble because we just don't believe it. You make the comments, I'm not buying it. That can't be true. I know better than what God has said. But Jesus says to him, hey, blessed is the one who doesn't allow this to make him stumble. Blessed is the one who, who hears this truth and it, it, it lights a fire with them and they just joyfully submit to it. Part of the reason why we don't like to submit is because we like to be in control. And when we submit, we're no longer in control. There's no better life that you can live than to submit to the Lord John hears this word, and John, by the way, doesn't know how his life is going to wind up. But we do know that he never leaves prison. He submits in this moment, this crossroads that he has. He doesn't say, I'm out, I'm not buying it, I'm done. He says, no, no, I'm going to submit to you, Lord, today. And he submits, and in fact, John will actually stand up for biblical and marriage fidelity and it will actually cost him literally cost him his head but John is at this crossroads he hears Jesus give him biblical truth he then tells him hey you got to joyfully submit to this to not not get trapped by the worldly influence not get trapped by the deceitfulness of your own mind but to submit to me and John does this you know, in life, there's lots of things that we read and we see, and we've, we say, I'm not, I'm not just not buying it. I just don't believe it. I'm out. I've seen what I needed to see. I, I've heard what I needed to, hear, to hear. I'm just not buying it. And if that's your posture in life, while Jesus never rejects us because we've had doubt, he will reject us if that doubt causes us to not believe. See, because if you fast forward in the scriptures all the way to Matthew chapter 28, you see the disciples are looking at the resurrected Jesus. Jesus has gone to the cross. Jesus has been buried in the borrowed tomb. Jesus has resurrected, and now he's appeared to all these witnesses. And there's a sense of which the disciples are literally looking at Jesus. But the statement that's so clear from the gospel of Matthew is that some of them doubted. Now, they're looking at Jesus, flesh and blood, seeing Jesus right there in front of them. And yet the gospel writer Matthew says some of them doubted what they were looking at. And yet in the middle of all their doubt, they worship Jesus. 
It says, some doubted, and yet they worshiped him. And Jesus gives to them that great commission, go into all the world. He gives them this great commission to go and spread the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he says, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. You can't allow your I'm not buying it to define your life. So what would happen? What would happen if today you went from I'm not buying it to I believe it? See, the gospel is so clear for us. Even in this moment, John had believed in the gospel, but he had wavered from it in this moment in prison. And we don't judge him or judge him harshly for that. We just say this is where John was at. And what's so great about this is that this is where many of you are at. Some of you have been walking through a season of I'm not buying it. But Jesus is inviting you today to believe him. There's a sense of which where Jesus makes this so clear to us. He says, look, if you would just admit that you have sinned, if you have acknowledged the fact that your sin had brought separation, and the only way for that separation to be repaired was not from you just getting better, not from you just trying harder, not from you from pulling up your bootstraps, not from you just giving more money, not for you just showing up once in a while to a church, not any of those things, but you admitting that you have sinned. And then when you admit your sin, you realize that only through and believing in Jesus can you be saved. Not believing that I'll be better if I think better. But no, I believe that only through Jesus can I be saved. And then you confess with your mouth. That means that you're saying and agreeing, hey, Jesus is the Lord. He is who he says he is. He's done what he said he would do. And he has risen from the grave. And one day he's going to return for those who are his children. When you confess that, the Bible says that he he says you're, he's faithful and just to forgive you, and he calls you as his children. And it's no wonder why the enemy, why the enemy comes after you, because you're his child. But you may be here today, and you've never trusted in Christ. And my hope for you is that you would not leave here without saying, "I believe in Jesus." I believe that only through Jesus I can be saved. I believe that he is the one who was sent to die on the cross in my place. I believe that by trusting in Jesus, I am forgiven. I am absolved of all of my sin, and I'm called to live a life of righteousness. And when I face tough times, and when my expectations are not met, and because I have limited perspective, I won't doubt. I will dig in, and I will continue to believe. So Maybe you're here today. You never trusted in Jesus. Or maybe you've been struggling with some doubts. Jesus says, come, hear and see what I have done. Hear and see. And when you hear, and when you see, your faith will be strengthened. Not in your own efforts, but in what he has accomplished. Today, we have an opportunity for you to respond. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll be at the front. There'll be counselors that are available for you. If you're here today and you've not trusted in Jesus, this can be the day that your life changes for eternity. Maybe you're here today, and you've been wavering. You've been wandering off and drifting off into doubt. Maybe today is a return home to the Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now, and Lord, we're just so thankful for all that you've done and how you move and how you work in our lives. Father, my, my ask is that there would be those in this room who have been in the I don't believe it to now they do believe. 
So those who I don't want anything to do with Jesus would be transitioned to I trust Jesus. This can only happen, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we're asking that whether they be online or in person today, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, there's so many things in this world today that would cause us to deny or cause us to not want to investigate the truth claims about Jesus. But Father, we know that facts are always stubborn. The fact is that you did come. You did go to the cross. You did go to the grave and you did resurrect. This is all proven, not just through your word, but through historical events. And so, Father, we're asking that there are those in this room that have not placed their faith and trust in you, that today would be the day that they can sing, I surrender my all to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.